Welcome. Thanks for listening to A Certain Degree. My name is Nick. I host a weekly radio show that gets turned into this podcast, the one you're listening to right now. If you're an early riser, you can listen live every Monday starting at 7 a.m. on WPRK 91.5 FM. It also streams on WPRK.org. Or you can subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Regardless of where you listen, this show is about people from the Orlando area who are doing something neat. This episode's neat person is author Eric Deckers. He lived and wrote in the Jack Kerouac house for three months as part of the residency program, and that turned into his new book, Mackinac Island Nation. We discuss that, the writing process, and much more. Learn about the show, Eric, and all of the other guests by visiting toacertaindegree.com. And now, on with the show. The Shout Out Louds on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to A Certain Degree. Good morning. My name is Nick. I do this every Monday from 7 to 9 a.m. And every Monday I have a very special guest. This week is no exception. Good morning to Eric Deckers is here. Good morning. How are you? That was a terrible sentence. Let me try that again. Good morning, <laughs> Eric Deckers. You're here. Good morning, Nick. I am here. Thank you so much for being here. Get right up on that microphone right. so everyone can hear your dulcet tones and uh, be taken over by them, and you can command them just as your army of minions. Bring me cookies. Okay, great. And that's uh, that's a good start to the day. So uh, the shout-out louds we heard that was very loud from their album, Howl Howl, Gaff Gaff, which I'm always interested in the name of that album, which is a lot of fun, but also the fact that they're called the shout-out louds and then they did a song called Very Loud. I like it when the name of the band is in the song title as well. There's I, something about that. I remember the 1980s, uh, a band, a Scottish band called Big Country, mm-hmm. did a song called Big Country on the album Big Country. That's too many. That is way too many. That's why I think they had to go Howl Howl Gaff Gaff or Gaff Gaff Howl Howl. I can't remember now. So every week I have a very special guest. I get to know them a little bit better. And Eric, you and I have spoken a couple of times. We've met at a few events here in town. Mm-hmm. That's how we originally met was a uh, uh, coffee and content at Odd and Target Marketing Group. And so that was uh, very nice of them to hold those events. Mm-hmm. And that's... Also your type-in at the Nook. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's actually, was I that the first that's time? where we met, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so we had a typewriter meetup. And uh, you brought your typewriter out, and that was a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, it was a good um, time. I do like the typewriters. But I want to get to know you a little bit better. So we're going to play a game, as we do with almost every guest who's been on here for the first time. And instead of saying, it's basically 20 questions, but instead of saying yes or no, up or down, you're going to say cut or paste. Cut if you're for something, paste if you're against it. Because cutting, what's better as a writer cutting stuff out, becoming more succinct, getting rid of things that are unnecessary. It, it's a good feeling. It's mm-hmm. a cathartic feeling. Pasting things, you're just trying to jam things in where they shouldn't be, or you know, it's, it's actually a worse version of glue. Let's face yeah, it. Yeah. It's delicious. Don't get me <laughs> wrong, but it's not as good as just any other kind of glue or glue-like item. So cut or paste. Are you ready? All right. Summer break. Cut or paste? Cut. When you were a kid, what did you do with your uh, summer break? Played constantly. Played what? baseball, read books. Oh, okay. Went, hung out with my friends. 
Do you miss that sometimes or is there still a little bit of a summer break for you? No. Um, I, I used to, after college and, and even graduate school, I was used to the year starting in August, not January. Right. And we had this nice nebulous break where nothing happened. And then the, then the year started up every August or September. So you had time uh, to mentally prepare yep, for it a little bit. I could relate incidents in my life based on that school year. Mm-hmm. I was in, you know, I was in fourth grade when this happened. I was a junior when this happened. And after a few years of being out of that environment, I realized all the years ran together. And now there are some incidents that have happened in the last 25, 30 years. I don't know when they happened because I don't have that, that milestone to go by. Right. All right. Well, that's interesting. Okay. So summer break is a good one for you. What about driverless cars, cut or paste? Oh, I'm still stuck on that one. I've been thinking about that one. I'm going to I'm gonna say cut right now because I would like to be able to read while I drive. Okay. Are you much of a technologist? Like when something new comes out, do you jump on board right away? Pretty much. Okay. And so from a technology standpoint, do you feel like we're there right now with a driverless car? Like would you get in one now and no, start reading? Now. Okay. So you're going to wait a little bit longer right. before I would have to. I know they're doing some good things with, uh, like, Google's got their driverless cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're starting to see some driverless trucks. Uh, the Netherlands has uh, driverless trucks on the road right now uh, going from seaport to delivery port. Uh, and they've been doing that for a few years. We are actually behind some other countries when it comes to driverless vehicles. Sure. But I know that some of the testing that they've done in cities like Pittsburgh, there's still some problems because there's so many uh, rivers and bridges that the cars are having trouble navigating on these places where there are not buildings. So what you're saying is they also need to be amphibious. Yes. Yeah. No, that makes sense. <laughs> that would be driverless, amphibious. Uh, I, I would want to go underwater. Like if we could do the full James Bond. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, what, what was that, a Lotus? Uh, yes, I think it was, yeah. And then just add on a couple of things because... Let's face it, the AIs are going to be competing against each other anyway, mm-hmm. right? To see who takes over the human race. So why not have it so they're weaponized as well? They're going to be weaponized either way in order to destroy all humans. Yep, yep. But they could fight each other. So you've got Ubers and Googles and all these other driverless car AIs going after each other. I think what will ultimately happen is they will, they will team up and form a giant AI, sort of like Voltron. Oh, I like it. So they transform as well. Yes. Ooh, with humans in there, that might be bad. All right. Uh, speaking of transforming with humans, professional wrestling. How do you feel about that cut or paste? It used to be a cut. Now it's a paste. When you were a kid, did you like it? When I was uh, when I was a, an older teenager, early yeah. college student, I loved it. And I've just kind of stopped watching. And so now it's it doesn't interest me. Was it the storytelling part of it? It really was. That really it, helped it along for it was you? The whole was it storytelling. Okay, so it wasn't necessarily the athletics of it or no. anything. No, I mean, some of it was pretty impressive when you, yeah. I mean, I know wrestling is fake, but when you consider, like I saw the match where Hulk Hogan picked up Andre the Giant. Andre oh, the yeah. Giant weighed 500 and some pounds, like 560 pounds, and Hulk Hogan picked him up. That's impressive. Hulk Hogan had 21 inch, you know, the 21 inch pythons. His biceps were 21 inches around. That's impressive. You know, story or not, that's just an impressive feat of physical strength. Yep. But the storytelling was just fun. It was so kitschy. It was, I mean, soap operas were not this bad, but but just the soap operatic elements of WrestleMania. Who's got a beef? Uh, who's, you know, 
who's who's turned, turned heel, heel, yeah, things like that. So that was always fun <laughs> to to pay attention to. Very nice. All right, well, we'll get you back into it. We'll do some wrestling, uh, or never mind. We'll watch some wrestling <laughs> during the next break. See if we can get you back in there. Uh, you came down to Florida. I think to be part of the Jack Kerouac project. Is that correct. correct? I didn't come down to do it. It was the two things happened at roughly the same time. We moved from Indianapolis three and a half years ago. And after we had decided to move, I got the email saying I had been named the spring 2016 writer in residence at the Jack Kerouac house. And so it's a three, uh, three month program. Mm -hmm. Had we stayed in Indianapolis, I would have come down here for three months and just been here by myself. But because now we live in Orlando, I would go in on a Sunday and go home on a Thursday night and spend the weekend with my family. So I was, as far as I know, I was like one of two or three ever local residents over the last close to 20 years. 20 years, yeah. They've and, been doing uh, that. and so yep. they've only had a couple of locals and I became a local rather than I was a local who got the residency. Very nice. So let me ask you then this. How do you feel about the beach, cut or paste? Cut. You're a fan of it? Yes. Okay. Now, not, do you go often or how does that not work Not that often. You? We'll go to Melbourne once yep. in a while. Uh, I don't go too far in the water because uh, there's sharks in there. That's my uh, understanding is but, there's uh, sharks, yep, in the uh, water. I, I prefer to hear other people's stories about them rather than to experience it for myself. So I'll go, I'll go where it's knee deep when the wave comes in. Okay, so less than that when so like there's it no goes way. back out and, yeah. and I'm standing on the sand. <laughs> I don't go farther than that. Is during your writing process is getting out into nature part of you know the finding your creative spark? Not really. Uh, you know, being from Indiana, we we didn't have alligators. Mm -hmm. We had snakes, but for the most part, they were not venomous. And uh, we move here, and the entire state is trying to kill me. We have bears Yeah, it's here. not quite Australia, but it's, no. yeah, yeah it's still... It's, it's like America's Australia. Yeah. We uh, we don't have bears in Indiana. Like, okay. we've had two bear sightings. One was a bear that came from the uh, Michigan and would just go back and forth between Michigan and Indiana because bears don't really recognize state boundaries. Right. And the other one was one that had wandered up from Kentucky. And it was so probably it was, also looking for cheaper gas. Yeah, and, yep. and it was so notable that it made statewide news. Here, we barely get a mention on my, you know, on my uh, neighborhood page uh, that there's a bear in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Barely get that. You know, but it's it's so common that you know the city's like, hey, make sure to keep your garbage cans inside and things like that. So, so you're not going outside at all. I do not go outside. All right. I, I I was not much of a city boy living in Indiana. I like the outdoors, and now here, if it's not paved, I won't walk on it. Very good. Okay, so someplace I know, I shouldn't say that. Someplace I suspect there are very few bears. How do you feel about colonizing Mars? Cut or paste? Cut. Are you? Were you a big sci-fi reader growing up? Growing up, I was. Yeah. Not much anymore, but I was at the time. So, is that sense of exploration? You know, would you go? Would you wanna? Do you have any desire to go, or do you think that it's important because? You know, you from a, I don't know how young of an age, but when you were, you were reading that sort of thing. I was reading Star Trek and things like that. And mm -hmm. so the, the sense of the already established system in place, that appeals to me more. But 
like you've heard about the uh, the lifetime trip to Mars. Like you go and it's one way and that's it's, it yep. forever. Yep. I couldn't do that. Uh, I I wouldn't want to be the the builder, the pioneer, especially if it meant not coming back. That's the thing that stops me. So if it's a couple of years and you can go visit and there's a nice, you know, relatively speaking, hotel there. Yeah, and a, and a coffee shop. Nice. Oh, and they found, I don't know if you saw it from this past week, they found uh, some formations on Mars that look very much like the Starfleet insignia. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty uh, fun as well. Nice little shout out from the Martians. Yeah. How do you feel as a storyteller about zombies? Paste. Okay. Not a, I'm not a horror fan. I don't like scary things. One of the reasons that I would go to the Kerouac house on Sunday nights at 8 o'clock is because The Walking Dead came on and my family would watch it. It's like, I don't want to be in the house. So, <laughs> so I'd say, see you guys later. And so pretty much the, the show would start and I would tell them goodbye and you know be gone for four days. See in a few days. days. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Uh, you are a sports fan? Yes. Baseball especially? Baseball especially. Okay. How do you feel about sports memorabilia? And the reason I bring this up is because there was a Babe Ruth jersey that was just auctioned for $5.64 million. Yeah. So sports memorabilia in general, cut, cut. or paste? Cut. Do you collect a lot of stuff or did you? I I was a baseball card collector when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I had the entire 1977 Topps collection. Oh, wow. Um, and I... I like the idea of sports memorabilia, but over the last several years, my wife and I have tried to pare down on the amount of stuff we own. And so collecting things is not really, it's not really a thing that I enjoy anymore. I like having things that are meaningful, Mm -hmm. uh, like a a ball I caught at a game or somebody's autograph that I got rather than I bought it. So I'm not, I'm not mostly because, you know, we live in a smaller space. I don't have, anywhere to display these things. So it's been it's been nice for the clean out perspective, but I used to collect stuff all the time. I used to collect a lot of things and you know and just over the years I've gotten rid of most of it. What was that process like? Uh like, you know, was it, was it difficult to find new homes for those things or did you give them to just friends and family? Did Gave you go a lot of it away? Did you go to people's houses and just leave it there without them knowing? I never did that. I should have tried that. You should have tried just, that. That's a really good idea. A lot of it, a lot of the stuff that we were collecting were projects we were going to work on, like a uh, uh, a small display case that I had that a friend had given me, and I was going to fix it up. Well, I had that thing in my garage for ten years, and I never touched it, and it was in such bad shape, I couldn't give it to anybody else either. We pitched that. And so it was, it was hard because it was sort of like that, that lost promise of I'm going to get to that one day. Yeah. That potential was no longer there, but at the same time it was very freeing. And I felt this great sense of relief. Like I don't have to worry about that. That's not weighing yeah. on my mind anymore. And so it was on this imaginary list in your head. Yep. And that, that was a huge list. And so yeah. by getting rid of a lot of these things, that list got so much shorter and just mentally, I felt lighter. Very nice. So did you go through that whole process of, well, I'm going to keep only things that bring me joy? More or less. Yeah. Like my books, I had, I had so many books. I had, I think, close to a thousand books. 
and I donated 800 of those to my local library. And this is when we lived in northern Indiana, small town, and I don't think they knew what to do with them all. I would just bring in like 30, 40 books every couple of weeks as I'm paring them down. It's like, well, I don't need these. And so I'd take them to the library. And a couple weeks later, I'd look at them. Oh, I don't need these. And so by the time we moved uh, to Indianapolis and then to Florida, I had close to 200 books that so I still truly wanted. Yeah. And I have started growing that again. Uh, so now we're maybe close to three. Yep, you're going to have to start getting rid of those now. That's what my wife says, but mm-hmm. I, I don't see that happening. No, no, I'm they, totally joking. I'm winking the entire time. They still fit on the, the shelf, time. and, and uh, we, ha- we have sliding doors on the shelf uh, nice. shelves, and as long as I can close those and everything fits, uh, she can't say anything. There you go. And there's still, as long as there's words in books, you can't get rid of them, is exactly. my understanding. Yeah, once they start falling apart and you can't read them anymore, right. maybe, maybe. Uh, so storytelling... How do you feel about the Disney remakes where they're turning uh, the cartoons into live action? Cut or paste? Oh, paste. Absolutely paste. Yeah. Pick another story. You can animate it. You can do live action. It doesn't matter, but you don't need to retell the the highly successful story you did 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Just there, there are so many myths and legends and stories from around the world. There's something new to pick from. It doesn't have to be the same one. It just, to me, and especially given, you know, who Disney is, it, this just is a lack of imagination on their part, mm. which is the one thing they're great at. It's, they're kind of known for that, yeah. Yeah, they, they even have Imagineers. And, you know, you can't imagine a new story, a, you know, a Latin American story, a Disney Japanese story. I know you're listening, so get on that. You heard it here, and I I tend to agree with that. All right, uh, from a writing perspective, I'm sure you had to learn it in school. How do you feel about cursive, cut or paste? Cut. No more cursive for you. No, I like cursive. Oh, yeah, cut is good. Man, I'm (laughs) I'm not even playing my own game correctly. Uh, So do you still write in cursive on occasion? Oh, not at all. It was terrible. (laughs) I learned it it in the fourth grade. Yep was forced to use it through the sixth grade, I think maybe even eighth grade. But once I hit high school, I stopped because it was bad. It was just my cursor was terrible. And even if I practiced, it was never that good. I always wrote fast rather than nicely. My wife, on the other hand, has beautiful cursive and, and she can write wonderfully, but it takes her forever. My signature anymore is just a scribble. I've had people ask me if I'm a doctor because they would watch me sign things like, are you a physician? No, why? Because that's how doctors. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you can make out the E and the D in my name, and that's it. And uh, uh, so I've, I've, when my kids were learning cursive, I even tried it again, and I still remembered all the letters, but just like, this is awful. Very nice. All right. We'll leave it at this for now. Uh, cobbler, the dessert, not the person. Cut or paste. Since I like dessert in general, we'll say cut. Okay. What's your favorite dessert? You have a sweet tooth, I take yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, most of most of you will never heard of this. Sugar cream pie. Sugar cream pie. It's made with sugar and cream. And it's it's an Indian. It's like a custard. Okay. Uh, and if you've ever had like a, an egg, not not an egg cream pie. What's the other one? 
Well, like uh, uh, it's the consistency of pumpkin pie and and uh, so sweet potato pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just made with sugar and cream, and it's very sweet. It's Indiana's official state pie. Like our state legislature voted on this and and declared that the Wix sugar cream pie was the official state pie. And Wix is a company in Winchester, Indiana, a very small town in East Central Indiana that employs more people than Winchester has people. And if you go to the store, you can sometimes find a Wix pie crust. That's especially what they're known for. And Wix pie crusts travel, you know, they're, they're shipped all over the country. But the sugar cream pie, I have not found outside of Indiana, and I have looked. I have one friend who moved down to Tavares from Indianapolis mm-hmm. and uh, opened up a restaurant, and he asked uh, his Ind- Indiana friends, hey, what should I put in here? And I said, uh, pork tenderloins, breaded pork tenderloins, which is the official state sandwich, and sugar cream pie. And so he opened the restaurant, and it was open for about a year and a half, and my son and I went, and that's absolutely what I had, uh, pork tenderloin and sugar cream pie. It was awesome. Very nice. So it's not open anymore? No, he closed Because I am it. starving now. Yeah. If you go to Culver's, uh, like there's a Culver's in uh, in Oviedo. If you go there, they have breaded pork tenderloins. If you've never had one, uh, you owe it to yourself to go get one. Okay. It's a new It's a new place. Uh, and that's a sandwich? Yes. So it's just a just a normal pork tenderloin that they yeah. smash out flat. In fact, if you if you Google breaded pork tenderloin, you'll see some some pictures that just almost look comical. How huge the sandwich is versus where the bread is. Like, does the pork outside it's, of it's the bread? Huge. It's bigger yeah. than a plate, and they put this bun on it. You know, just a normal hamburger bun, and it looks like a fat guy wearing a tiny hat. Yep. Because this breaded pork tenderloin is, uh, you know, just a about the size of Pennsylvania, and it's got this hat on it. And the only you've, you've got one of two options. You either hold it very awkwardly and just eat until you reach the bun, or you take it apart, chop it up uh, so you can stack it, and they'll have like a, a triple or a quadruple stack of breaded pork tenderloin just so you can hold it properly. Uh, but uh, you put it, with, uh, at least I do it with uh, mayonnaise, mustard, and green pickle. Other po- people put... Uh, tomato on it and once you put lettuce on it uh, I think it, you're kind of losing the point of what what breaded fried food is supposed to be right right and then some people will put ketchup on it which is just a sin yes on most sandwiches well, I like ketchup on fries but yeah, right not sandwich, sandwich wise hamburgers maybe but yeah that's bologna, about it bologna sandwiches okay very nice well thank you Eric I got to know you a little bit better uh, a couple anniversaries today uh, the Statue of Liberty arrived in the U.S. in 214 different crates oh. today in 1885. Uh, Susan B. Anthony went on trial for voting in 18, I believe, uh, 72, as a matter of fact. So um, she wasn't supposed to be able to vote, but she actually wanted to be uh, arrested for trying to vote. They didn't arrest her. She was so good at talking and, and basically yelling at the people who were in charge that they let her vote. And then she was arrested for that. And 1898, he's 121 years old, if he was alive. Uh, M.C. Escher was born today. Yeah, uh, from the Netherlands. Uh, One of his quotes, we adore chaos because we love to produce order. I think that's fairly accurate. And as a writer, I think that's... Yes. Because you're putting the words into the right order. Yes. From the chaos 
that they're coming from, one which of is your easiest, brain. One of the easiest things to write, I'm a professional blogger and I write for other clients. One of the easiest things to produce for them are list posts. Oh, yeah. For that same reason. it's it, We're taking all this just amorphous information and creating a clear set of uh, objective defined items that people can know. Very nice. So, Eric, we can find you on the Twitter. Yes. At E Deckers. E Deckers. E D E C K E R S. And if somebody wanted to look you up on Amazon or uh, just on the internet in general, it's Eric with a K. Yeah, E R I K. And Deckers with a K. Deckers with a C K and an S at the end. Deckers. And there are, as far as I know, there are six of us in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm the only American, the other five are Belgian. So if you find a, a Belgian, any, anything in Flemish or French, it, that's You've not gone me. too far. Yeah, that's not me. Belgium, if you get to Belgium, you've gone too far, yep. as we all always say. And your newest book just came out. Yeah, it's uh, called Mackinac Island Nation. It's a humor novel, political satire, and it looks at the question of what would happen if Mackinac Island, Michigan, were forced to secede from the United States because of a 200-year-old peace treaty. So we've got more on that coming up, your writing process. We'll talk a little bit about college. Uh, we've got bad business ideas in the next hour. And we've actually got a pop quiz all about Michigan since you're an expert on Michigan now. Well, I'm, I'm only an expert on that one little tiny well, island. We'll, we'll see how We'll I do. see how you do. And uh, we'll determine that. You're listening to a certain degree. My name is Nick. Let's play a song right now. I think we'll play a little bit of This Bike is a Pipe Bomb. We Shall Not Be Moved is the name of the song on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to A Certain Degree. Hey, you're listening to A Certain Degree, and I really appreciate you downloading or streaming or however you're interacting with this episode. It's hard for me to ask for your support because you're already doing so much just by listening to the sound of my voice. If you have the time and inclination, please subscribe to the podcast. Follow the show on whatever social media channel you want. And if you want to do more, let me know what you think. Email me, leave a review, DM me, whatever channel works best for you. Hey, it works best for me. Again, I really appreciate you. I really appreciate you listening. I really appreciate you being here and being present. Now back to the show. This bike is a pipe bomb on WPRK Winter Park, Florida from their album Front Seat Solidarity. We shall not be moved. Good morning. My name is Nick. I'm here every Monday from 7 to 9 a.m. Every Monday. Very special guest Eric Deckers is here. Good morning, Eric. Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. So you are a professional writer. Mm -hmm. How long have you have you considered yourself a professional writer? Because oftentimes writing is something almost like being an artist where people don't necessarily self-identify as that at first. But how long have you been doing it, you know, more or less professionally making a living at it? Ten years. Okay. I... So I own a, a content marketing agency, a ghost blogging agency. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said a little bit ago, I own a, uh, or I own, I write blog articles for companies and I work on a retainer basis. And I started out at this company that I, that I now own in February of 2009. And after three months, 
the owner comes to me and the other guy who works there <clears throat> and says, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go back into consulting. And so he, he gives us the company because he owed us money. And so he sold us the company in lieu of paying us. And uh, then I bought that guy out uh, about six years ago. So I have been a professional writer, earning my living, supporting my family for 10 years. But I've been doing marketing communications and writing has always been a part of marketing mm -hmm. uh, for another close to 12 to 15 years before that. Was it something that you wanted to do from a young age? Like, was it a, a drive for you in terms of creativity and things of that nature? Not really. I, I knew I could write. I knew I enjoyed reading. I read a lot. Uh, but when I was 16, I, I remember I was walking through. So I grew up in Muncie, Indiana, uh, walking through Ball State University's campus. And in this bookstore, they had a list of posters or a list of posters, a list of books on a poster uh, for Banned Books Week. And it was a list of books that basically, you know, I, you know we're not supposed to read. And the best way to get me to do something is to tell me not to do it. And so well, as a 16 year old, yeah. you didn't listen to people. Not and, at all. Oh, that's it's, so weird. It's, and it's not gotten better. I, I still <laughs> don't. You tell me to do something, I'm not going to do it. And so the, I got three of the books on the, or two of the books on the list, plus a third, uh, uh, Catch-22, which is still one of my favorites, mm -hmm. uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, and Breakfast Champions. And then later I read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And Wait, that was on the list? That was not on the list. Okay, that was good. the one that was not on the list. And I noticed two things. One was uh, I loved the use of satire mm -hmm. and making fun of, people and the status quo and the government and you could luckily do that safely in this country but the other thing was just the constant swearing in the books and I thought I would love to be able to do that I would I want to make fun of people point out their foibles and I want to swear when I'm doing it and I would love to make that happen and then I forgot I forgot all about that okay but subconsciously I was still working toward that goal. I was I was uh, learning to write. I took a journalism class. I was you know taking a couple of composition classes, and I just always found myself in places where I could write as a part of my job. And then, and were you swearing as as part of your job as well? Uh, only only verbally. Okay. Not, since I was working for so you switched that marketing out marketing, and, yeah. and then later state government, uh, I couldn't do it there. So, uh, but I started writing a newspaper humor column and, and just more and more and more writing became a bigger part of what I did until now for the last 10 years, it's the only thing that I do. When you, you know, 10 years ago, did you feel like there was this itch you wanted to scratch in particular, or was it again, just like a natural, it was a job. Yeah. I just needed a job. I'd been in marketing all that time and, and this was another form of marketing and, and it just, it didn't even turn into that. It just was that. And I thought, I will do this until I find a new job. Well, I, the new job became company owner. And I thought, well, this is, this is the thing that makes me the happiest. I get to do the thing that I've always wanted to do. And I do it professionally. The only thing that would be better is if I was like a sitcom writer mm -hmm. or a, a novelist. But even then, I don't think I would, I would get the same satisfaction out of it that I do now. So looking back at it, you, the other books that you've written for the most part are 
marketing related. Yes. Uh, their advice on how to use better use social media to market yourself or build your brand, those sorts of things. Is Mackinac Island Nation the, uh, you know, sort of the first out there that isn't um, uh, more or less marketing correct. in terms of business books? That's correct. Uh, it's my first novel. The other books I've, I've co-authored and I ghost co-authored one. I did Twitter marketing for dummies. Uh, I did branding yourself. I did no BS social media. Only uh, we, spelled got to out. Say, we got to yeah. spell it out, which was awesome. And then again, I, you have to have swearing apparently yep, in yep. your uh, books. And that was uh, down to my co-author. He liked that title. That was his idea. And then there was uh, the owned media doctrine, which is about content marketing for large corporations. Uh, but this was my fr- and I've I've ghosted a couple of other books for other people, uh, but this was my first novel. Now we talked a little bit about the Jack Kerouac House here in town, which is an amazing project and amazing. Uh, opportunity they have for writers. They can live there for three months as they work on something. So they apply. There's mm-hmm. uh, not a contest necessarily, but it's a, um, you know, it's a judged application process. Yes. And uh, they live there, they have a stipend, and they're able to create. Uh, Mackinac Island Nation was your application or was part of it your was. application? It was. So Mackinac Island, uh, if you ever meet anybody from Michigan, they're always going to hold their hand up, their, their right hand, and they're going to point on their hand to where they live. Mm-hmm. And so Mackinac Island is sort of above where your middle finger would be. And that's the the Straits of Mackinac, and that's where Lake Huron and Lake Superior come together. And uh, there's a, a little space between the lower peninsula and the upper peninsula of Michigan, and right in that space is Mackinac Island. And it's notable for a couple of things. One is that it doesn't have any cars on the island, only horses and bicycles. Uh, it's also known for uh, its fudge. And so there are usually plenty of jokes about the horses and where does the fudge come from and things like that. But Mackinac Island fudge is supposed to be some of the best in the country. And uh, when my wife and I lived in Indiana, we would go up to Mackinac once a year in early fall to catch the leaves changing color. And just to hang out. And we would spend a long weekend or sometimes even a week there. Uh, they filmed the movie Somewhere in Time with uh, Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour there in like 1978, mm-hmm. 79. Um, and so when we would go, I would always have this little fantasy of what if the island were somehow forced to separate? So this is in the 90s that, that I was thinking this. And so that idea, that question bounced around in my head for you know, a good 15 years. And around 2015, I I started to, or even late 2014, I started to work on that project. And just, I just started writing the book. I didn't even have a, a an outline. It just went chapter just, one. Yeah, chapter just one. Jump right into it. And so for, for novel writing, there are two types of writers. writers. There are plotters mm-hmm. and there are pantsers. Plotters outline everything pantsers fly by the seat of their pants and so I tried pantsing and uh and what I would do is I would when I first started I wrote like three pages and then the next day when I was gonna write some more I went back and I edited the first three pages and then I wrote three more and then the third day I went back and I edited the first six pages and then I wrote three more and then it just kept going and going and going and so you're, you're really not supposed to do that as a writer we've been told you know you're supposed to put everything, get everything down first Mm -hmm. and then go back and polish it all. But again, people told me to do it. And so 
I did the other. And so in February of 2015, my family and I were down here visiting. And I learned about the existence of the Kerouac House. I was actually sitting at the downtown Credo coffee shop. And when I learned about it and found I was sitting five blocks from it, and I emailed them and I said, hey, can I go visit? I want to see what it's like. And they said, no, absolutely not. It's a private residence. You know, oh, we, and somebody's living there. Yeah, and somebody's yeah. living there. So you can't just barge in. And so they directed me to the, it was, uh, it was uh, Karen, who now I'm on the board with. But uh, she directed me to the writer's page and the residency application. I thought, yeah, I'll give it a shot. What's going to, you know, what's going to happen? The best thing that'll happen is that I'll win. And the worst that'll happen is nothing. So it's sort of like when you have a dollar in your pocket and you go, I'll buy a lottery ticket. You know, I could win. I probably won't win. Most right. likely won't win. But Odds are I, against it. What if just... I did? And so I, I literally applied with that same attitude. And you just probably wanted to see the inside happen. of it. Yeah, that was it. I just And I thought it's only 20, at the time, only 25 bucks to apply. Uh, the worst that'll happen is nothing. The best is I'll get in. And then I forgot all about it. I applied and forgot. And then it was Memorial Day Sunday, uh, 2015. I got the email saying, hey, you're the spring 2016 writer in residence. And I said, oh, well, we're already moving down there. Is it okay if I live in town? And they said, oh, sure, whatever you want. And so then that started the residency. But when I got that email, I thought, and uh, I thought, oh, good. That means four people applied. And then I went and looked at the writer's page, and I saw that the four writers had alternates. In case, you know, I couldn't do it for whatever reason. There was somebody, somebody who was going to fill that could, term. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I must have won the coin toss. Out and, of the eight people. Uh, yeah, there yeah. were eight people. It's like, well, Eric wants spring and this guy wants spring. Uh, oh, Eric wants. And I thought that's how it went. And so I mentioned that when I, when I got down here, I went to a reading, uh, a farewell reading of one of the previous writers. And I mentioned that to Jeff Bench, uh, who's in charge of the residence. And he said, oh, no, no, we had 300 people apply. And I went, oh, my God. Actually said a bad word in my head, but I said, oh, my God. They think I can do this. They think I'm actually a good writer. And I just got I got the worst case of imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. and I thought they're going to find me out. They're going to find out that, you know, I, you know I, I write nothing but humor. And I went back to the writer's page and started looking back at past writers. And I realized, you know, these these people have, you know, graduate degrees in creative writing. I'm looking at the pages like MFA, MFA, writes fart jokes on the internet, MFA. And I was like, uh, they're gonna they're gonna throw me out. I just know it. And I spent the next three months scared that they were gonna knock on the door one day and say, There's been a mistake. So we're getting this your alternate. Go on, get out of here. <laughs> so they assured me that no, this was not the case, that what I had sent them was worthy of being included but man it did not go away it's still i still have it bad i've always had it but like it got worse it should have been a validation like i'm good at what i do and and i deserve to be here no it got much much worse you spent three months there working on the novel so you had a certain amount done already before you got there i had about two or i had three chapters done yep and uh decided to outline it and then i worked on it for three months, I still had to do my day job. Unlike everybody else who comes, they usually don't have a day job, uh, or if they do, they've gotten a sabbatical from it, or they're on summer break or something. 
And so I had to do my day job. And so I'd get up around 10 in the morning and I'd work and write for my clients and then uh, break for dinner, watch a little baseball, and then work until about 2 or 3 in the morning, go to bed, start all over. So how much did you get done while you were in that headspace and physical space? Like Close living there? to half. Okay. And then, uh, so that was spring 2016. And then like 2017, I didn't touch it at all. And then 2018, I finished it up and I just uh, and then polished it in the spring of this year and, and released it on April 30th. What was the process like getting it published? Uh, you know, did you shop it around? Did you have an agent? I shopped it around. I looked for agents and nobody was biting. And so I uploaded it to Amazon. And if anything, that was harder than shopping it around for agents because uh, I, I wasn't getting the formatting right. And I was so mad at Amazon. I wanted to like punch Jeff Bezos in the head. As uh, we all have at some point <laughs> or another. Who, who we love you, that? Jeff. Jeff, we love you and your AI. Yeah. That's I'm certain listening to this right now and parsing everything that we're saying. Yep. But uh, but I decided to self-publish. And the other reason uh, was when it comes to royalties, because all my other books have been published by big houses. And when I get royalties for that, like on a single copy of Branding Yourself, I get like a buck 40. But when I sell a copy of Mackinac Island Nation... I get close to twelve dollars. Mm. I have to sell, you know, nine copies of Branding Yourself to one copy of Mackinac Island Nation to make the same amount of money, and the publishers don't do promotion anymore. Used to be, you know, if the if some of them have money, they'll they'll throw money into promotions and getting you on radio shows yeah. and tours and things like that. Uh, but for the most part, they don't do that, and so you do all your own promotion. Well, you can get into the big houses and you get into the bookstores, which is great, but you have to do all the promotion for a buck forty, or you self-publish and do all the promotion and you get twelve dollars. What has that been like in terms of, you know, so you've got it published now, you've got hard copies, you've got there's a Kindle version, you know, you can get it on your e-reader, all that stuff. What has that process been of self-promotion? Because you know, not ironically, that is your background, mm-hmm. right? In terms of marketing and what you're writing, and a lot of times what you're uh, researching and things of that right. nature. And it it can be difficult. Uh, the one thing I've I've learned is, well, the one thing I learned is that you know, when you're writing a book, ninety percent of your energy goes into writing and creating the book, and when you're done, the other ninety percent goes into promoting the book. And so it's just a lot of, you know, building an email list. And this stuff has to start early, you know, not the day the book drops, but rather months and even years in advance, uh, building a list and building up your social networks and getting people to pay attention to you, respond to you, and and learning how to communicate with people online so you're not just selling and promoting and constantly mm-hmm. saying, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. So like one thing I did was I I started a blog called yournextbeachread.com and I do this little email interview with authors, uh, just email them a questionnaire, they fill it out. I upload that with a photo of their, you know, their author headshot and their book cover. And I'm just, you know, doing that constantly as a way to just build a general awareness of each of us. But indirectly, that helps me out. So I'm doing that kind of thing just to 
just to generate attention to my work. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, speaking at conferences, uh, hoping people will buy it. Uh, I just spoke at a conference in Tampa uh, mm. eight days ago and sold several copies there. I uh, did the book launch at the Kerouac House uh, three weeks ago, sold several copies there, and then just pestering friends and family. Your biggest supporters. I mean, you've done a lot for them. Yes. So they could do a little bit for you kind of uh, on the back end. Exactly. What? Um, Mowed lawns, shovel so, driveways. <laughs> Remember that time I did that thing? I helped you move? Buy my book. Yep, exactly. Hey, you should buy two. Exactly. For, for as much as I've helped people move, they should buy two or three. <laughs> uh, so besides guilt, um, it sounds like you're going out there and, you know, as an author you can't rely on just putting the book out there. There's all the hoops that you have to jump through. There's the feeding of the beast, which is the social media. Do you find yourself, do you find yourself enjoying that part? Is it, you know, sometimes work, sometimes enjoyment, like how much of that do you do? And it's satisfying to you. I I get a lot of satisfaction from social media. Uh, I was an early adopter of most of it. Like I was on Twitter in 2007. And in uh, and, and early 2007 and even 2006, I was starting to participate in social media, even as people were talking about it, trying to figure out what it was. <clears throat> and so I've always enjoyed it. I've always been careful about who I let into my Twitter stream, for example. So you know, you hear a lot of people complaining about just the, the vitriol and the, the toxicity on Twitter. I don't have that. It's in my Facebook, <laughs> but, it's, sure. but it's not on my Twitter. And so I enjoy being on Twitter and talking with people. And so there's, uh, there's a hashtag discussion uh, called writing community that just popped up. And now there are, you know, t I would even say thousands, if not tens of thousands of people participating on this every day, sharing polls, asking questions, promoting their work. But just the writing community on Twitter has, uh, has built up and it's been just fun to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. There's no political discussions and, you know, writers from all over the world and they're not bringing their local politics to things. They're not attacking each other about things. So that's been enjoyable. Uh, and so for, for reasons like that, I enjoy that kind of work on Facebook. Uh, I try to, I occasionally will say something political, just kind of stir up the ashes a little bit, see what I can find. But otherwise, it's it's still just personal news, uh, you know, stuff about my family, stuff about the work I'm doing, stuff about the book. So it's a mix. I make sure that I've got a good mix of talking about what other people are doing most of the time and then talking about what I'm doing part of the time. And do you find that, you were, do you approach writing differently? Because I, you know, um, I think it was the four hour work week, which I never read, but you know, one of the famous stories about that book was before he published or before he was ready to sell it, he actually tested the titles through Google ads, mm -hmm. right? So he went out there, tried a bunch of different titles and whichever ad, whichever one got the most clicks, that was the one that did it. Were you out there testing the premise? Were you testing anything about the book? No. On social media? No, and that's something that, that I've sort of thought about it, because the bigger picture is when you look at what Amazon has done to publishing with Kindle, there are people who are making a great living as fiction writers and as novelists, 
but they sort of have adopted that pulp fiction model of putting something out every month about, you know, it could be a shorter story, 20 to 30,000 words. Uh, some are doing 60,000 words, which is roughly the length of a, a novel. And they're doing it constantly every month. Uh, and those are the people who are always looking at metrics and always, you know, they're, they're uh, focus grouping and they're uh, crowdsourcing ideas in order to sell a lot of books. And for me, it's been more about the art of the book. Mm-hmm. And so this was my book that I wanted to write. And if people want to buy it, I would love that. If they don't want to buy it, that's fine. Um, you know, I have my job. So this is more, this is my chance to express myself creatively. Even if it did take four years to do, it was mine. And I'm, I'm not as concerned that I sell a bunch of copies. Not like the people who that's their living. And, right. you know, and they notice if they sold 20% fewer copies in a day. They pay attention to that and they have to. Um, and I, I sort of made a decision that I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in that space. I could. I could produce a novel every month. That would be enjoyable. But then eventually it would become all about the analytics and the money and the that would drive the story rather than the story being the primary focus. And it sounds a lot like work. Yeah. And then, yeah. It, then it just becomes a job and now it's not the fun part. At least, my, yeah. you know, I write for work, but I also write for fun. And, the, and my fun writing, as long as it remains fun, I'll enjoy that. But, you know, could you imagine doing the thing that you love to do the most every day, eight hours a day? And, you know, and having to focus on the mechanics of doing it rather than just doing it. Yes, I can imagine that because obviously I've done that. And so, yeah. But, okay. Well, that's good. Let's leave it at that for now. Okay. And we'll take a break. Uh, First hour is already up. Awesome. Yeah. Time flies. I'm enjoying to talk to you. Felt like 20 minutes. I know, right? You and me both. All right. I'll take that. All right. Uh, thank you, Eric Deckers. We can find you on Twitter. You mentioned that earlier. It's E Deckers at mm-hmm. E Deckers. And then obviously, if you just search for Eric Deckers, Eric with a K, uh, we can find you as long as we're not going, you know, we're staying in the US right. when we're looking for you. We're not going over to Belgium. Right. You've gone too far. I, I did start a face group, uh, Facebook group for us uh, called My Name is Eric Deckers. And you have to be E R I K with the S at the end to join. So like Eric Decker, the NFL receiver cannot join. He spells his name completely wrong. Oh, sorry, Eric. He's a big listener. Yeah. So I appreciate the, uh, the fact that he can't get in there. That's too bad. Uh, let's listen to the wombats. This is from their album, a guide to love loss and desperation seems appropriate for a Monday morning. Little miss pipe dream on WPRK winter park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. You have a social media account of some kind. You have a brand you're trying to establish. You're thinking to yourself, Nick, do you know a way that I can get some affordable and stylish props that will help me tell my story? I I think you're asking me that, actually. That's where Brand Knuckles comes in. Through the magic of 3D printing, Brand Knuckles uses all the dimensions to create a piece you can use as a giveaway to customers, as a way to brand your images and many other applications. Go to Instagram.com slash brand knuckles to learn more. Now back to the show. Mm. 
The Murdochs on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, from their 2010 album. The Distortionist was the name of the album. That was Die Together. Or maybe it was The Together. Maybe it's German. I don't know. Ooh, Good be. morning. My name is Nick. You're listening to A Certain Degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, the best in basement radio, and the voice of Rollins College. Eric Deckers is my very special guest. Excuse me. Eric Deckers. I almost said Eric Deckers. <laughs> and that is a different accent than I usually had. Good morning. Good Eric, morning. How are you? Doing well. Second hour? Yeah. Are you ready for some bad business ideas? Yes, I am. We'll, we'll see about that. Bad business ideas. It's time to pick just one. It's going to be totally legal. We hope it won't hurt anyone. So come on. Yes, bad business ideas where the rubber meets the road. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Bad business ideas where the skid marks reveal how the accident unfolded. As all guests... I can see how you get that confused. Yeah, this is very close (laughs) together. I just read things wrong sometimes. As all guests on to a certain degree have to suffer through, Eric, you now have to suffer through this. And you get a choice of two business proposals. These are just off of the top of my head. I, I Well, not off the top of my head. I really do a lot of research on these and make sure that they're viable. And there's a reason I do this to people. And it's because otherwise these things would be stuck in my head. This is a cathartic, a therapeutic experience for me. By sharing these and having you give me back ideas on how to improve them, it helps me. And I think it helps the listener. And it helps you, Eric. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's just say that. Uh One example, and so for people out there not familiar with bad business ideas, this is where it comes from, right? So one example I could give where there were two stories about food recalls this week. So one from Ragu Pasta Sauce, which apparently had plastic fragments in some containers. Not not great. No. And then in a different grocery aisle, 246,000 pounds of El Monterey brand frozen breakfast wraps were recalled because they contained small rocks. Now, this is very frustrating to me as a business person myself. It's basically, it's basic quality insurance. We have to investigate these businesses and ask the tough questions like, who is inserting the plastic and rocks in such a poor fashion? Like, why are you doing this wrong? Obviously, you're going to have some plastic and rocks in your mass-produced and super-processed foods. There's just no way around that. Mm-hmm. Probably some other things as well. I don't want to talk about them necessarily. We as consumers are expecting plastic and rocks from ragu pasta sauce and El Monterey frozen foods. And they're just not evenly distributed. I just want my corporate overlords to be more subtle about it and be better at it. So that's where sort of bad business ideas comes from. Now, let's get to it. Eric, may I call you Eric? Sure. Great. Indiana is a state. True or false? True. And you're from there. Also true. Yeah. So this is, this is really geared towards you in a way. Uh, Indiana borders Illinois, true or false? True. That is also correct. On July 1st, Illinois will increase its taxes on cigarettes and gasolines. Guess what that means for Indiana? More people coming from Illinois to buy. That is correct. So cigarette taxes in the prairie state, which is apparently what Illinois is known as, uh, are already the highest in the nation. They'll increase from uh, about $2 per pack to $3 per pack. That means in Chicago, with all the city taxes, 
the tax on a pack of cigarettes will go to around $8.17 per pack of cigarettes. In Indiana, it's 95 cents per pack. Mm -hmm. A little bit of a difference. The gas tax in Illinois is going to double to 38 cents per gallon starting on July 1st as well. Illinois businesses are expected, as you mentioned, to lose a lot of customers to Indiana. They're going to drive over the border to the Hoosier state. Is is that accurate? The Mm -hmm. Hoosier state? Great. Now, what am I getting at in all this? Obviously, we're going to replicate Indiana's business plan, which I can only assume was to infiltrate the legislature's in Illinois, in the city and the state, to go ahead and increase these taxes to push more consumers into Indiana. That would be a safe bet. That makes sense on a number of levels. So we're going to start an organization that does the same thing. It's called Battle Tax. We'll be paid by a combination of local and regional chambers of commerce, visit Florida, probably some theme parks, and we'll put politicians into place in Georgia to increase taxes on things that they enjoy. That might be sodas, hats, music, anything that they really like in Georgia. Peaches, for example. And pecans or pecans. Either one. Both. Why don't we just do both? So that's battle tax. That's the first of the two bad business ideas that I'm going to present to you. These wonderful meals. That's your first one. What do you think about that one so far? I... I would not be surprised if that actually existed. (laughs) I'll give you a good example. Indiana uh, has has casinos now. Okay. We used to have riverboat gambling. And the the law was written in such a way that the boat had to, the riverboat in the Ohio River uh, between Indiana and Kentucky, which is what gives Indiana its unique shape. uh, The boat had to undock... From the, uh, from the mainland, drive a short distance down the river and then redock in Indiana. And then uh, we kept coming up with all of these new allowances of what could happen with casino gambling. Well, one of the groups opposed to casino gambling in Indiana was a group in Ohio. They gave money to fight legalized gambling in Indiana because everybody was going to Ohio. Because it was already legal in Ohio. It was already legal. So, exactly. So, yeah. this model exists in some way. Interesting. Yeah, I guess that's just lobbyism yep. or lobbyists. But, Is it lobbyism? Yeah, but it's it's another state and it's not that common, I would imagine. So, this is uh, this is a good business idea because we could we could force other states to come here for whatever it is they need. Right, exactly. All right, I like this. So there's something to that one. Let's. You still got another one. So a less bad business idea. A less system. bad business idea so far. Now let's see if you like this one better. Summer's here, and the time is right for barbecue and other outdoor-related gatherings of friends and family. Eric, do you have friends and family? Yes. Okay, no need to brag. With diets, <laughs> allergies, and other restrictions, it's getting harder and harder to make sure there's food for everyone. You need a menu that will take into account the possibility that a vegan may show up. As much as you don't want a vegan to show up, one might. I'm just kidding. I love vegans. They're a big part of the listener ship. Uh, Someone who is lactose intolerant or someone who doesn't like little rocks in their breakfast burritos. How can we even the playing field of food prep for a group? You ask. 
I do. How could we even the playing field for food? I'm really glad you asked. By taking advantage of the power of spray tanning. That's right, spray tanning. (laughs) Instead of airbrushing people with different hues, though, we're going to spray their hands with herbs, spices, and more. That's right. So we're going to have a neutral food, very bland, and the flavor will be delivered with the original utensils, your hands. So you get a soy, maybe it's a soy patty, maybe even a styrofoam patty. It's warm and it feels like food, but it doesn't taste very good. Then we spray your hands with whatever flavors you want in the food. So if you're a pescatarian, maybe the flavoring will taste like fish. If you're a vegan, maybe it'll taste like avocado. If you're a hipster, it'll taste like avocado toast. Mm -hmm. So you're delivering the flavor with your own hands. This organization, this new company is called Ranch Hands flavor in the palm of your hands <laughs> so what do you think about that one i like that idea yeah i think you could even branch out and and do uh like spray uh tongue spray oh so no matter what you eat it will just taste like that's that seems like an easier way to do it so Would this be. is why i'm glad i'm talking to yeah. you yeah or or make it a little contest like little shots you'd have to dilute it but you make little shots take a bite take a shot chew it up interesting I Add like some alcohol that. to the mix, and now it's a dinner drinking game. I love everything about this. Eric, I think you're the right person for this. I don't know if you realize this, but by choosing one of these and being on the show, choosing one of the bad business ideas, you actually do have to run the organization. Okay. So it's a little bit like winning the contest that you won for the Kerouac House, except you're also losing because it's all your own time and money invested in this. Yep. I'm sure you can come up with some investors. No, oh, sure. So I guess, what do you choose? Battle uh, tax or ranch hands? Ranch hands. Yeah. Battle you tax, know. you'd have to deal with politicians. I, you don't want to do that. I don't need that in my life. So After writing a book about them, yeah, yeah. you're good with just dealing with fictional ones. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. So we're going to work on that. We're going to spray uh, seven herbs and spices onto our fingers and then go have some chicken and see if that works just as well as uh, anything else. So very bland. Just we'll boil up some chicken and then see if that works. Okay, sounds All right. good. Nice. Thank you, Eric. Uh, you can find Eric at E Deckers on uh, the Twitter. Mm-hmm. I think it's called The Twitter still. It is. It's the formal name of it. Uh, you can also find him on Facebook. You can find his The book, Facebook. The Facebook. Uh, <laughs> Mackinac Island Nation on Amazon, uh, mm-hmm. anywhere else, or wh- what's your site? Uh, EricDeckers.com. Okay. And then MackinawIslandNation.com Mackinac has its own uh, its own website. I should point out that Mackinac is spelled M-A-C-K-I-N-A-C, not A-W. So it's a uh, foreign spelling and pronunciation. Yep. Uh, a lot of people call it Mackinac, mm-hmm. uh, but because it's French uh, and they don't pronounce things the way we do, uh, they pronounce it Mackinac. But Very there nice. is a Mackinac city on the mainland, and that is spelled with an A-W because it's British. This is getting very confusing. It is. Okay, so we're going to leave that there. We've got a pop quiz coming up about Michigan. There might be some Mackinac-related questions in there, so I'm expecting you to do very well, I hope so, yeah. Okay, good. Well, let's listen to a song. Uh, It seems appropriate to play this right after Bad Business Ideas. This will be Nino Moschella with The Fix from the album of the same name. You're listening to a certain degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. July 10th is a Thursday. 
Just kidding, it's a Wednesday. I was making sure you were paying attention. It's a Wednesday, and it's when the next edition of Orlando Story Club is. Orlando Story Club is a competitive storytelling event where audience volunteers have five minutes on stage to weave a tale that delights and inspires. You need it in your life because these are the stories of your neighbors and your community, and you can volunteer to speak if you're feeling up for it. You can volunteer to judge, or you can just support the speakers as well as the Kids House of Seminole, since all proceeds from the event go to that charity. It's only a $5 suggested donation. It's at the Abbey downtown, a great venue. I'll be there, and I might even tell a story. For more, look for the Orlando Story Club on Facebook or on Google. Now back to the show. Nino Moschella on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was The Fix. Good morning. My name is Nick. I do this every week from 7 to 9 on Monday mornings. And every week I have a very special guest. Eric Deckers is here. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. And if you missed any of the show, you can listen to it on a podcast version. Uh, You can go to a website called toacertaindegree.com or you can subscribe uh, to a show called To A Certain Degree. I have to be careful because it starts out with two and uh, that's T-O-A, certain degree. You can subscribe to it, listen to this interview, all the past interviews. It's always, yeah, I would say it's always with the exception of one episode out of the 200 something that I've done so far. It's always been uh, local authors, artists, makers, entrepreneurs, you know, somebody from Orlando or the Orlando area who's doing something neat, including yourself. Eric is a writer. You just came out with your first novel, Mackinac Island Nation. Mm-hmm. How much research did you do in order to get this done? So it's a, it's a political satire. Um, just to sum it up really quickly, and please feel free to add anything to it that you want. There's an island off the coast of uh, Michigan mm-hmm. in one of the Great Lakes. Yes. And so, so far accurate. I'm from Canada, so I do know about the Great Lakes. And uh, in a treaty you posit in this satirical novel that there's a uh, stipulation that it becomes an independent country after 200 years. And so you write about the ramifications of that happening. Correct. Within the U.S. government and otherwise. So I know from hearing you do a reading at the Kerouac House that you did a lot of research for who was in power at the time, the government that was in power at the time, right. so that you could use those as names for the fictional politicians that you use Correct. in the book. How much work and how much effort did you do in terms of the historical, uh, you wanted the you know, historically accurate parts of it? Right. So you know, the initial research uh, was, the initial research was the fun research, and that was just visiting the island. Um, but then when I started working on the book, uh, I used Google maps a lot to, you know, name streets and I wanted to name restaurants and businesses there. But, uh, right before I published, I chickened out and changed the names of everything, but I was looking all of those up and trying to find the landmarks on the Island. Cause a lot of those businesses, I would imagine, it sounds like have been there for a long time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they have. And, uh, but then the other uh, section was I had I have three chapters, they're they're almost interstitial chapters. They don't really add to the 
story. They don't drive the story forward, which is always important, but they add flavor to the story. They give you mm. a sense of just the lunacy of the whole situation. Uh, and so I thought it would be a little fun to make, if you read the story, you realize that everybody in Congress, you know, all the congressmen, and they are congressmen, and all the senators are old white men. And mm-hmm. I did that on purpose. I, you know, I, I chose not to reflect the diversity of today's Congress. And I picked the names of the men who were in power in 1814 in the Congress and the Senate. And so if you pay close attention to the book, that you notice that everybody is from a state or even a territory that was in existence in 1814, which at the time was about as far west as Indiana and Illinois. And that's it. So we didn't even have Florida. So, you know, everybody's from Tennessee and Rhode Island and Maine and, mm-hmm. and Indiana and so on. And uh, and so uh, I think even uh, Louisiana. And so I just, I picked all of their names and just made them do uh, funny things. So they don't actually reflect what Congress looks like today. They reflect what they looked like 200 years ago. And I had some fun with some of the names. Uh, there's a guy, he was a senator from Rhode Island. His name was Outerbridge Horsey, H-O-R-S-E-Y. And I, I learned from that a friend. Was his actual that was name. his actual name, Outerbridge Horsey. That's amazing, Horsey. by the way. And uh, I learned that Outerbridge Horsey IV is still alive. And uh, I don't know if there's a, a fifth Outer Bridge, but uh, Mr. Horsey uh, IV is still alive and kicking in Rhode Island. And so I have this this great scene where during a hearing, people are, are just kind of chuckling uh, at uh, Senator Horsey's name. And he, he says, yeah, I get it, I get it. You know, a lot of jokes, but uh, I'm proud of my name. Uh, you know, I'm a Horsey. My father was a horsey. Uh, his his father, father before him was a horsey. There were horsies on the Mayflower. And just, you know, so him saying this over and over, everybody's just laughing about this. Right. And uh, and I just, I had uh, just a little bit of fun with that. Was part of the reflection of the Congress at the time, just to make uh, a parallel to what was going on in the country Back then, uh, back during it was the was it the War of eighteen twelve? War of eighteen twelve. That this treaty is uh, based on essentially. It, it it was really nothing more than I just wanted to be a little clever. I wanted you know I yeah. wanted people to uh, to see that and maybe ask, well, who are all these senators? Are these even real people? Why aren't there any women in this? Why are you know why isn't Utah in here? And so if they were to Google any of the names, they would make that discovery that connection to it. Very nice. Well, let us check how well you did with your research. I've got a pop quiz for you about Michigan. So if you want to play at home or in your car, just yell out the answer at the radio. We will hear you and hopefully help Eric. Now, there are real stakes here. Okay. You get all five right, we become best friends for the next week. That means I'm supporting you in everything that you do, both emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. Um, If you get four questions right, we've just added a layer to our friendship. Three questions, we stay the same. You know, whether you want to consider that acquaintances or or good friends, it's up to you. Uh, Two questions correct, we actually go down a level. I downgrade you. You go back to, uh, you know, the regular uh, seats in the airline. 
and then one or fewer, which would be zero, we become bitter enemies okay. for the week. Okay. So I will actively try to sabotage you and everything that you do okay. for the next week. All right. Now you also said steak. Is there what kind of steak? I don't remember. Saying you said there's steak. steaks here. There's re- S T A K E S because we have a vampire problem in this it's building. Not, so not a ribeye. Yeah. No, no, nothing like that. I thought I'd get a ribeye. And to help us out, we've got Simon Time from Simon Time Trivia. He is here live via recording. He was alive last time I talked to him in case the authorities are looking into it. Simon is going to ask the questions. So are you ready for your first question? These are all Michigan related. Yes. Hey, hey, Nick, this is Simon Time from the Simon Time Trivia Show, and I've got you five questions about Michigan for you and Eric to answer. Let's get right to number one. In the sports category, what is the name of Detroit's professional baseball team? Hmm. Detroit Tigers. The Detroit Tigers. Simon, is he correct? The answer, the Detroit Tigers. Okay, one for one. You're either still going to be my bitter enemy or my best friend. So you're, you're on a roll. Perfect. Ready for the next one? Yes. Question number two. Who traditionally leads the Mackinac Bridge walk? And uh, I did not tell Simon the correct way to pronounce yeah. Mackinac. So I should that should almost be a freebie. Uh, I'm going to guess that it's the governor. The governor. Is that a guess? You don't know? I don't know. Oh, my goodness. The answer is the governor. Nice. Two for two. Okay. You're safely out of the bitter enemy yeah, zone. And right now we're just downgraded. Ready for the next one? Yes. Question number three. What Michigan city is nicknamed Furniture City? Furniture City. I imagine because they make a lot of furniture there. Uh, I'm going to say Grand Rapids. Grand Rapid. Rapids? Rapids. There's more than one. Yes. Michigan. The answer for number three, Grand Rapids. The uh, Steelcase <laughs> factory is there. Uh, oh, they, they make office furniture. Uh, and also, I believe uh, Herman Miller, the Aeron chair, is made there. Is made there. Okay, there you go. It's three for three. You're doing well. You did your research. Yep. This would have been terribly embarrassing if you did not get any right. <laughs> I didn't think about that beforehand. Let's go on to the next one. Number four. In what Michigan resort town have motorized vehicles been banned since 1898? That would be Mackinac Island. Okay. The answer, Mackinac Island. Come on, Nick. I did not know. (laughs) I will talk to Simon about that. We'll fix this on the podcast version. Okay. All right, last question. Yes. Ready? Yes. We're going to be best friends if you get this right. So you may want to not get it right, but some people have done that. And finally, question number five here in our Michigan Trivia Quiz. What is the common nickname for people living in the Upper Peninsula? Youpers. Youpers? Yes. So Michigan is split into two parts. Yes. Upper Peninsula, Lower Peninsula. Yes, and the Upper Peninsula is actually connected to Wisconsin. Yes. So you have to cross the the Mackinac Bridge to get to the UP. Or you could go all the way down and around Lake Michigan up into Wisconsin then over to the UP or to visit your Upers. All right. Well, let's see. That answer, Upers. 
best friends. This has been five Michigan <laughs> questions. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Simon. Simon Time, everyone. You can hear the Simon Time Trivia Show on pftmedia.com. It's also available wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Simon does trivia out and about town seven nights a week. Wow. So you can go see him, win great prizes, be entertained by his trivia knowledge. Uh, Facebook.com slash Simon Time Trivia. Okay, so we have to figure out the logistics of being best friends because there's quite a few things that we have to do based on that. Um, not the least of which is I guess I'm going to have to come over to your house. Yeah. Yeah, for a while. Uh, you can help me move. Nope. <laughs> that is not my version of best friends at all. Plus, uh, I'm not moving. So even though this band is from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it forever is associated for me with Michigan because it was on the Gross Point Blank soundtrack. Mm -hmm. The Violent Femmes, Blister in the Sun on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. Eric Deckers is at Eric or at E Deckers on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And you'll be seeing a lot of tweets from me at him because we're now best friends. That's right. Oh, I'm just staring into your eyes. That's not what best friends do. Violent Femmes on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. The To Be Decided just started season four on their YouTube channel. What is The To Be Decided? I just said it's a YouTube channel. Who is The To Be Decided? The hosts are Miller and Davis. They tell some stories, review music, and generally make some really great videos. When are the two be that's redundant? Miller is also responsible for all the bumper music on this episode, in case you were wondering. Check out youtube.com slash the to be decided for more. Back to the show. The Violent Femmes on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, with Blister in the Sun. We played that because it was on the Gross Point Blank soundtrack, which is a great movie. It was based mostly in Michigan. Mm -hmm. My guest today, my name is Nick, by the way. My guest today, Eric Deckers, has a book out that he just published about a little island off the coast of Michigan called Mackinac Island. It's called Mackinac Island Nation is the name mm -hmm. of the actual book. Good morning again, Eric. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. I always ask and I'm always interested in people's experience coming out of high school and what their plans were and what actually happened to them. So you were coming out of high school and were you thinking, I have to go right into college or else I won't be successful? Did you go to college? What happened? I went right into college out of high school and it was more because that's what you did. It wasn't even, uh, it, it was a question of I won't be successful if I don't go to college you know I'd, I'd had that drummed into me but it was just i have finished high school and so the next step is college and it didn't hurt that my parents both worked at the university uh, my dad was a psychology professor my mom was the associate director of financial aid uh, and so they were both educators and you know there was there was never a question growing up that i would go to college after high school the the question was would i actually get in because I was not a great student. Mm. I was I was average. I was a, maybe a little above average. Um, but they were concerned that, like, sure, he's going to get in, but is he going to make it back out? Um, and uh, and I ended up excelling 
in college. I've I found that I actually enjoyed it. Uh, more I, than high school. Yeah, much more than high school. Uh, and I was a philosophy major. And you know, then by my junior year, there was talk of graduate school, which was would have been unheard of my junior year of high school. Like this, you know, barely get into college. What makes you think you're going to do grad school? But by then, that was the path I was going to go. I was going to be an educator of some sort. At first, I wanted to be a philosophy professor. Uh, and then I realized I would have to, in addition to getting my PhD, I would have to either learn enough French or German to be able to read uh, some of the original philosophical text in the original language. Uh, and I, I had taken three years of high school German. I'm like, that's not going to happen. Did so, not appeal to you even at the not at all. college so, level? Nope. So I went and got a, a master's degree in college student personnel administration, which means I could be a, a college administrator in student affairs. And ended up doing that for a couple of years and then went back to graduate school again for speech communication. Uh, and that's where I met my wife. Only she wasn't my wife at the time. We had not met before then. Right. It wasn't some arranged marriage right, where you got right. married and you didn't realize right. it. I dodged that bullet. Good. And, uh, um, but I met her there. Neither of us finished that degree. Okay. So I have, I, uh, I have one plus graduate degree one and a half yeah. or 1.25 something yeah. like that and uh and so uh we met and got married and i went a completely different direction from anything i had ever expected i got into marketing uh i'd been on the theoretical side of bs uh with philosophy and now i'm in the applied side of bs uh, i have a bs marketing. in bs from bsu ball state ball state very nice where did you do your graduate degree Ball State. Oh, you did. All my whole time uh, was spent at Ball State. Yeah, both both uh, graduate degrees were at Ball State. Were there as well. You're a big fan. Yes. Very nice. Were you now that you have kids? Were you and your wife thinking then? Okay, what's going to happen for them coming out of high school? Are you thinking about a particular direction? Do you want them to do something? You know, or is the same story and sort of the same pressure being put on <clears throat> to no. go to college? No, in fact, we're doing something different. Um, when I was a kid growing up, my dad uh, said, you, you need to be happy in your work. Whatever it is you do, you're better to be happy and poor than to be rich and hate your job. Um, you know, life will just be so unpleasant if you hate your job, no matter how much money you make. And so my wife, on the other hand, was she wanted to be a singer and wanted to pursue singing and you know, she's very good at it. And her parents suggested that she get a safe job. They told her, you know, when she was a uh, teenager who expressed an interest in singing, well, singing is hard to get into. So you should just get a, a degree that can help you get a job and you can sing on the weekends. And then if something takes off for you, then you, you know, you can do that. And so she realized, uh, you know, about 10, 12 years ago when she started singing again and pursuing it professionally that she missed all this time. Mm -hmm. And she could have been working and she could have been pursuing opportunities. So she was a little resentful of that advice and uh, realized she kind of squashed her dreams. And so we have told our kids uh do the things you want to do. Pursue the things you want to pursue. Uh, my only request for them 
is that they have a a skill or an education that lets them work in air conditioning sitting down. And I don't care what it is they do, and I don't care if they do it. Just have that that knowledge and that experience, um, and then go pursue your your dream. So, you know, my son is a, a rock guitarist, and he's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he wants to live out of a van for three years, playing with his crappy band as they tour the country, go do that. I'm not expecting you to get a you know to be a lawyer and play music on the weekends. Go do that. You can't do that when you're older, but you can do it when you're younger. And there's always time to to fix up whatever you need to fix later. So and go back to school if you want or school. do any of those. But things. have something. I, I know enough people and know of plenty of people who because of their circumstances and they didn't have something to fall back on, mm-hmm. ended up being homeless. Like uh you uh, a lot of homeless people around Nashville, Tennessee, are musicians who couldn't make it. They didn't break into the music scene, and they had no skill to fall back on. A um, couple of them, my daughter went on a, a missions trip when she was uh, in high school and uh, with our church in Indiana, and she talked to several musicians, and a couple of them said, yeah, I, I you know, worked in a warehouse for a time, but it wasn't air-conditioned and developed health problems, and I couldn't work there, and so... Uh, I couldn't work and they became homeless because they didn't have a degree. They didn't have anything that they could do to fall back on. And so we told our kids have something that lets you sit inside in air conditioning, especially because we live in Florida. Uh, that's your backup. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not your primary safe job. Don't get a safe job just to please us. Um, do, you know, do what pleases you. Sort of what my dad said, do what makes you happy, uh, even if you're not going to make a lot of money at it. Well, and especially in your 20s, you can, you're fine. Yes. Right, for a time. Right. I mean, even the Kerouac house was kind of a bit of a gamble for me uh, in that what if, what if my business suffered while I was there? Mm-hmm. And, you know, luckily my kids were older and they only lived 20 miles away. But being away from my family for three months solid would have been hard. You know, at least I got to go see them every uh, every weekend. And I would call uh, my wife on the phone every, you know, every day, every couple of days. And we would just chat for a little bit or we would text, you know, and the technology today made it very easy to just stay in touch throughout the day, not worrying about, well, I have to make a long distance call. I can only do that once a week. And, you know, I only get 10 minutes and none of that. Um so I was fortunate, but you know a lot of the other people who have come through, uh, they leave their family behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the woman who's a spring twenty seventeen writer uh, was actually a friend of mine from Indianapolis, uh, but she and her husband and her son live in Singapore because he teaches at an international school there, and she came over and uh, they stayed in Singapore. They came here for two weeks, but. Uh, but other than that, other she than was that, separated two and from and a half months. Yeah. So that would have been, I think that would have been very difficult. And so anybody who is younger, you know, you're listening to this, you're going to graduate college soon, or you just did, go out and do the cool stuff right now. Don't wait. Don't, you know, don't think it's going to come someday because someday will never come. And then one day you'll have a family and a mortgage and you just can't do those things. And if you hit the big time, remember who encouraged you, yeah. Nick and Eric, on to a certain degree. Yeah. And, you know, 
consider us for some sort of job or reward appropriately. Like cookies. Like cookies. Or cash is also good because you can exchange cash. You can buy for cookies. Or cookies. All right. Thank you, Eric. Let's listen to a song right now. It's Nico Case with This Tornado Loves You on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. This episode was recorded live on June 17th, 2019 on WPRK 91.5 FM. You will hear things on WPRK that you won't hear anywhere else. It's college radio. All the DJs are volunteers. Check out the show list online or just tune in whenever you have a chance. There's always something interesting happening, so listen early and often. Nico Case on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, from the album Middle Cyclone. That album is 10 years old, and I feel every minute of that. This Tornado Loves You from the album Middle Cyclone. Good morning. You're listening to a certain degree. We're done here. We're pretty much done. We have to turn it over to the Orlando Theater Hour with Ashley Ann Gardner, her special guest today, Jeremy Sagers. They're talking about an interesting uh, new show that they'll be doing over at the Temecula House, the White House, uh, coming up. It's called Three Stories, so it's going to involve all three stories at Temecula. They're going to tell a story on each of the stories of the Temecula White House. So please stay tuned for that. In the meantime, my very special guest is still here, Eric Deckers. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Can't uh, get me to leave. No, I'm going to have to release you back out into the world in yeah. a few minutes, much to the chagrin of your parole officer. Uh, you, we can follow you on Twitter, correct? Yes. Okay. E. Deckers. E. Deckers. That's where you spend, I would say, most of your time? Quite a bit, yeah. As uh, far as social media goes? Yes. But you're plus, also on Facebook. work time. Oh, work time as well. work time on Twitter, too. You're doing research. Sure. <laughs> nice. Uh, but you're also on Facebook. Any other social media uh, channels that you're like a LinkedIn. fan of? Okay. I use LinkedIn for work quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Not as much as I should, but I'm still there quite a, uh, quite a lot. And that's E-R-I-K, mm-hmm. Deckers, as you would imagine. Yep, Deckers is end. spelt, yeah, plural. Yes. More than one. Yes. And then uh, we can also reach you at ericdeckers.com. Is that correct? That's correct. Excellent. Everything I'm saying is correct. Mackinac Island Nation is your new novel. Mm-hmm. First novel. First novel. Okay. And uh, spell it one more time and tell us why it's called Mackinac and not Mackinac. Okay. Like it's spelled. Yeah, a lot of people call it Mackinac, but it's M-A-C-K-I-N-A-C. And it's pronounced Mackinac because it's French. Uh, and that's opposed to Mackinac City, which is a village. The village of Mackinac City uh, is on the mainland, and it's uh, M-A-C-K-I-N-A-W, which is English. It's a British uh, city. And so they pronounced it the way it's spelled, and uh, the French don't do that. So we get Mackinac turns into Mackinac. So no matter how you see it, it's always Mackinac. Always Mackinac. And I even I even put that in the book. In the very beginning, when uh, one of the characters from Washington comes to the island. Uh, and is trying to figure and, out what to call it. And, and he calls it Mackinac, and so the guy from the island corrects him and explains it. And I, I put that in the very beginning so readers wouldn't just keep calling it Mackinac in their head over and over. Very nice. Uh, well, yeah, and so uh, coming up this week, you were at the Jack Kerouac House for a reading of your book. That's where mm-hmm. you wrote about half of it. 
Um, I'll be there on Saturday at 7 p.m. for Black Cow Jumps. I'll be performing with Banks Helfrich. Uh, I would be going to that, except I will be in Virginia by then. By Are you I'm escaping? Driving up, I'm driving up to Virginia uh, to give a couple of talks at conferences next week. So you're not escaping from something that's happening here? No. I always like to ask that. If somebody's traveling, like, do you know something I don't? And is there something going on that you're trying to escape from? Yes and no. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> June 24th, and then week from today, I'll be back here at WPRK with Kelly Joy Ladd. She'll actually be returning. She's an artist. She works pretty much exclusively with paper, uh, but we'll be talking about uh, things that bring us joy. So I'm going to go through a process this week of trying to get rid of some stuff and only keeping the things that bring me joy. And so we'll each have some examples. So uh, hopefully we'll get some uh, audience participation in that as well. Eric, let's shake hands on the air because I think that makes for good radio. Yep. Very nice. We're best friends. So we should probably hug too. We should. Okay, great. We're going to do that off the air though. Let's listen to a song from Modesky, Martin, and Wood, The End of the World Party, because that's what being best friends with me kind of feels like. On WPRK, Warner Park, Florida, you're listening to a certain degree. Please stay tuned for the Orlando Theater Hour, and have a great day. And that's the show. Thanks for listening to A Certain Degree. Where do you go from here? Tell your friends about how awesome this episode was. Subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. The moral of this episode, if you want to see a historical site that's close to the public, apply to a contest to live there for three months, especially if it's haunted. I'm not saying Jack Kerouac House is haunted. Also check out toacertaindegree.com. That's T-O-A certain degree.com. Thanks for listening. I'll miss our little talks. <laughs>